Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for children. We thank you for these children here this morning. We thank you for families and how you are working in the lives of families of men and women who are bringing up children. We thank you for yesterday's um, dive that families and uh, men and women and children came together to serve the church and to serve our community, Father God. May we bless those in our community through our efforts. Pray for Bill this morning as he just brings a message. May your spirit be amongst this congregation. And may we just open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to you, Father God, in your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. Well, let me just add to the other Thanksgivings. Uh, Dive was incredible. I am so proud of all of you coming together, working both for this church community and for our community around us. It's powerful. And I just want to let you know that I'm very, very proud of all of you. And I love you all. And I am so thankful to be your pastor. It's such a privilege that I get to do that. One of you... uh, was talking to me a little bit about the first couple of sermons which dealt with marriage and uh, uh, shared this little anecdote with me. It said, a desperate marriage uh, is like a four-ring circus. There's the engagement ring, the uh, wedding ring, the nose ring, and then the suffering. (laughs) We're in the midst of a mini-series Uh, called Desperate Households, and we looked for a couple of weeks at marriage. Today we're going to look at another issue, and that is the whole issue that we're desperate for a good family, good family life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about family and parenting today. And one of the truths that we've been wrestling with is that things aren't always the way they appear, and no, they're not flying, and no, they're not walking on air. Um... Sometimes in our families, we're flying off the handle or we're full of hot air, but uh, things aren't always as they appear. And some of you in the midst of these life stages uh, uh, that we're going to look at briefly, and some of you, well, you're not there yet. That's maybe an anticipation or a twinkle in your eye, or maybe some of you, it's a memory. But I'm here to tell you that today, all of us need to be listening because we're all responsible for the children that God has blessed us with. So first of all, there's the baby stage. They're so cute. They're so precious. And everybody's baby is so precious and beautiful to them, the most beautiful child ever. And we just love these little uh, tykes. Uh, But then there are those sleepless nights. Whoever coined the phrase, sleep like a baby, must not have had one. (laughs) And we'll soon be singing the song, Away in the Manger. And in verse 2 it says, No crying he made. I don't know. I'd want to check with Mary on that just to be sure we got that accurate. And then there's childhood. A nice relaxing family drive. And what's the famous questions they always ask? We aren't even hardly out of the driveway and they ask this question. What? Yes, like this family. Are we there yet? I asked one guy who was heading uh, or had just come home from vacation, and I said, how did you enjoy your trip and your time together as a family? He says, well, after you've spent six days in a minivan with people that you thought you loved, (laughs) 
Then there's early adolescence. What a wonderful stage of life. Kara is ministering to that group of people as we speak. It's an an awkward season where one moment they act like a child and the next moment they act like little adults and we are so impressed and so proud. And as parents, we don't know whether to treat them as children uh, or, or teens and we end up saying, you're old enough, you should have known better. And then the next minute we're saying, what are you thinking? You're just a child. And they're confused, wondering what they're supposed to do. Or the other thing that happens is so often, you know, when they do something that makes us proud, boy, that's my boy, that's my boy. You know, but if they do something wrong, that's her son. (laughs) Like we didn't have anything to do with it. Or like this couple who's negotiating the responsibilities, I'll trade you the facts of life talk for an awkward financial discussion at a later date. (laughs) Then we finally get to the teenage years. And there... The parental night watch. Dad is Saturday night, son is not home, and it's now 10 p.m. and keep going. 11.30 p.m., 12.55 p.m., 2.38 a.m., 3.14 a.m. Hi, Dad. What are you doing up? I have to tell you the story. My son... Adolescence, probably sophomore or junior in high school. And one night in the middle of the night, I kind of get this funny feeling, you know, where you just wake up and you heard a sound, but it doesn't quite register yet what that is. And as I'm trying to make sense of it in my mind, it says, you know, sounds like a sliding glass door. So I get up and I uh, uh, go and check the rooms, do a little bed check. My daughter, all tight, sleeping sound, and so on. And go to my son's room, two pillows underneath the blanket. <coughs> So I'm trying to think, how can I teach him a lesson? Idea. I slept in his bed with my flashlight in hand. And I heard him arrive, and I heard him come in, and I heard him come to the door and open it, and I shone the flashlight, (laughs) busted. And here's what I said to him. Son, I'm so glad you're home safe and sound, and I love you very much. So have a good night's rest, and we'll talk in the morning. I slept like a baby. I don't know if he did, but I sure did. (laughs) All to ask this question that the first couple of humanity did. You want to bring a child into a world like this? And they were in the Garden of Eden. A philosopher made these observations. You spend the first two weeks of their life teaching them to walk and talk. Then you spend the next 16 telling them to sit down and shut up. (laughs) Or this piece of advice, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing our own children. (laughs) Or mothers of teens now know why some animals eat their young. (laughs) Children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word what you shouldn't have said. The main purpose of holding children's parties is to remind yourself that there are children more awful than your own. And we childproof our homes, but they still keep coming in. So the advice for the day from this philosopher is, be nice to your kids. They will be choosing your nursing home someday. 
The reality is we are desperate for good families. For all the ministries that we do as a church, for our children and for our youth, what do you think is the most important one? The one that has the most impact of any ministry that we do as a church. You see, even at our best, at our most creative, Faith Covenant will never come close to having the kind of influence that God or, this God-ordained ministry called the family or parenting provides on a day-to-day basis in the hearts and lives of every one of our boys and girls. Parenting. The family. There is nothing that the church will do that will have the impact that each of you as parents has on your children. But lest you decide you're going to check out, I want you all to stay tuned because the reality is all of our children and youth are all of our responsibility. I don't know if you recall, but at a baby baptism or dedication, words something like this may have been said when we have you as the congregation stand with the family as they dedicate or as they baptize their baby. Will you, members of this congregation, be faithful to your calling as members of the body of Christ so that this child and all other children in our midst may grow up in the knowledge and the love of him? And do you promise to live the lives of example so that they look to you, they will say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, that's the kind of person I want to be. And then we ask you to respond by saying, I do. That's a commitment we make as a congregation for the children that God has blessed us with. You have an outline in your uh, worship flyer if that's something that's helpful for you. Let's pray and invite God into this conversation. Lord, in our culture, we're, we're so desperate for good families. Children and youth that know you, that understand or come to understand your purpose for their lives, and desire to follow your teachings throughout their life. So this morning, open up our ears, our minds, our hearts to hear your word for us. We pray in your strong name. Amen. I did a little bit of polling for ideas on how we should encourage parents and got rather interesting feedback. You could do a little research on Amazon.com and find out, as I did, that there's 22,249 books written on parenting, if you Google parenting, or put that in the information uh, box. And so I got to thinking, if you were going to author the 22,250th book, what is it that you would want to impart? What would you want to say? What would you want to share with other parents that could be helpful that we might have good families and effective parenting. What parenting advice would you offer? And so I want you for just a moment in your mind to think. You're writing the 22,250th book. What's that one thing that you're going to share? Just think silently in your mind for a moment. Now, kids... This is your chance. You can share with mom and dad what you think. Actually, I'm going to ask you if you're related to the person not to use that person to share with, but in two or three, groups of two or three, I want you right now for a few minutes to go ahead and share with one another. What's that idea that you came up with of what you thought would be the proverb, the tidbit, the phrase, the sentence 
of parenting advice that you would give. So just do that right now, right where you are, turn around, whatever it takes to get in groups of two or three. Make sure each person gets a chance to share. No lectures, no dissertations, just sentences or phrases. Make sure you've moved on to the next person. Okay, if somebody hasn't had a chance to share yet, make sure they're doing that right now. I'm going to take all your ideas and be teaching for the next five years on parenting with your ideas that you came up with. Paul has some advice for parents in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and the instruction of the Lord. Did you hear it? The fathers are not to do what? Isn't that a wonderful word? I mean, it's so expressive. Exasperate. You know, you just kind of get the feeling. Exasperate, you know. Don't exasperate your children. And if you have your outline there, you can write that in, exasperate, E-X-A-S, and I don't know how it's spelled from there. But. And the definition of exasperate is basically to provoke to a high degree or to irritate incessantly. Think about it. Of all the advice that Paul could have given us, of all the things he might have said, he chooses this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And the two texts read for us this morning, note that they apply to this whole thing of having a good family that we are so desperately seeking and want. Don't provoke your kids. And notice that he starts with that negative. He doesn't teach what parents should do, but he tells you a warning of what you shouldn't do kind of shot over the bow of parenting. And he warns that we should not provoke our children. Exasperation is real. It's not the little eye-rolling that happens occasionally from our children. It's not the little bit of pestilence uh, that they uh, inflict on the family or the little bit of sarcasm they sometimes sass us back with. What exasperation is, is the consuming feeling of a child being misunderstood, a child being unheard, that their voice is meaningless, that they're being treated utterly unfairly. They feel inadequate, like they never measure up. 
And if you don't know the difference, it's something you need to take some notes and learn. Exasperation kills relationships. Paul advises, don't do it. Don't do it. And note that he speaks to dads here. And lest you women get too comfortable, and you may be thinking, well, it's because moms have it all together. No. Or that somehow women, uh, you know, that it's okay for mom to do and not for dad. No, that's not it either. Or because, well, moms are so nurturing that it would never even occur across their mind to respond in an exasperating way. No, that's not it either. It's because dads, we're so good at it. We're so good at it. We're prone to push and to push too far. Don't do it, Paul says. In Colossians 3.21, Paul uses an even stronger word in the Greek. It's that fathers do not embitter your children. Do not give them this, this taste, this feeling, this emotion of bitterness in their hearts and their lives. And he goes on to give a consequence. Or they will become discouraged. They will become discouraged. They will lose their courage to function the way God wanted them. They will be discouraged. So parents, don't embitter your kids or they will become discouraged. Pretty powerful. But what exactly does it mean? Clearly, Paul is not talking about the irritation that kids experience when they are being trained and disciplined. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the verse goes on to say, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Or another translation says, bringing up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's what we just read in that baptismal vow that all of us took to support those families, those parents, and those children as a church body, as individuals within this church body to be mentors of example. So it's not referring to the disciplining of our children. So what does it mean? Well, apparently there are things that parents do, and dads are especially good at, that go beyond godly training, godly discipline, godly discipleship. And they lead our children to a point of utter exasperation, of utter frustration. Studies have found that one of the leading predictors in kids relationships with God is their relationship with their parents, especially their fathers. We have to take that seriously, very seriously. That means that how we work with our children and youth as a family and as a church, we are representing God and can profoundly affect their relation with God or against God. So it is a big deal. It is important. And that leads me to the second uh, point on your outline there. And that is, what are the things that cause exasperation? And how is it that we would prevent it from happening? So the first principle I want to give you is to stake out clear and generous, age-appropriate boundaries for your kids. Let me say it again. Stake out clear, generous, and age-appropriate boundaries for your kids. Boundaries, an important thing. And in my 35-plus years of youth ministry, I've observed something that totally frustrates children and youth, and that is not to have clear boundaries, clear expectations 
of what we want from our children and how we think it would be best for them to live in a way that they will understand who God made them to be as a special, unique creation of God's. To have boundaries, perhaps, that are so tight and so rigid that they they can't seem to breathe, let alone to grow. And one of the most gracious gifts a child can receive is clear, generous, age-appropriate boundaries. They did an experiment back in the 70s and this experiment was to allow kids to be free because we're restricting them too much. And a lot of it was a reaction to religion that seems to be so strict and have so much structure to it. And they really felt that kids needed to be liberated. And so all of the elementary schools in this one district and all of the middle schools, they took away all offenses. And what happened was the children began to kind of huddle around the building. They no longer went to the extremities of the property. They huddled around the building because that felt safer for them. After about six weeks of watching the fiasco happen, they went and bought new fencing and put the fences around the school. And sure enough, all the kids ran out to the limits of the fence. They would lean on the fence. They would be there and talk with their little coffee clutches. It would boundary the balls so they could play with abandon and so on. They liked having the boundaries. There are a variety of parenting approaches. My thanks to uh, Mud, whatever, the the pet store over here across from Fred Meyer. She loaned this to me. Anybody know what this is? It's a choke collar and, uh, uh, or choke chain sometimes it's called. Uh, this one here for larger dogs with very thick, thick fur, like in the days when I had an old English sheep dog. Uh, they're kind of a wonderful dog in a certain sort of way, but uh, very difficult to train, and you had to get their attention. And this was a way, and this is not cruel, although there are some people that feel you should not use this and you need to use positive reinforcement, and so you go through a lot of dog biscuits. But um, uh, Desi needed one like this in order to be uh, uh, controlled as a dog and trained as a dog. But I think the illustration I want to do is that sometimes as parents, we are so rigid and so strict and we, we put this on our children emotionally so that they're not able to find how God made them and created them to be. And we have all of these restrictions that are with it. And some parents go for the choke chain approach to control their children. They keep their children as close as possible. They protect them from everything. Sometimes we call it hot house parenting. They want to so shelter them, put them in a bubble, have nothing in the world to affect them. I used to have parents that I would always struggle with because when we do outreach and so on and other children from the neighborhood would come into our children's ministry or into our youth ministry and so on, they'd say, we can't have them here because they're such a bad example for our kids. And I'd keep telling them, hey, wait a minute. Our responsibility is to be a good example to them to share Christ with them, the love of Christ with them. So the problem is that your kids, sooner or later, are going to have to make their own way in a hard, cruel world out there and be God's disciples that He's called them to be and that He wants to shape and mold them to be. And it can be a very rude awakening for them to get out into that world and find it's a lot different than it was in the parenting model used in their home. And the reality is, if they could break loose of this, you have a hard time getting them back and being the influence that God called you to be as a parent. There's the other extreme 
that is basically unpredictable boundaries. It's laissez-faire. It's the permissive type of parenting where we don't want to do anything that would force them to make a decision. So if they don't feel like doing something, then they don't do it. If they want this for supper, we make it for them. And this kind of parenting is just the opposite and seems like maybe it would answer the rigid kind of parenting, but it doesn't. The reality is God asks us to disciple, to make disciples of all people. What's the key root that's in the word discipline? It's to disciple. We are to disciple our children. The child never knows what the limits are, where the boundaries are. It's like having no fences around the playground. Something is okay one day, but it's not okay the next, and you don't know what to expect, and it makes the kids crazy. It gets them exasperated. My little granddaughter, when she was about one years old, uh, we were there for Thanksgiving, and uh, so I was taking care of the kids, and everybody else was gone someplace, or I was taking care of the child. It was just Izzy at that point. And... uh, so Izzy is there, and she was doing something that, uh, that was wrong. And uh, so I said, Izzy, no. And then to, for emphasis, I said, Izzy, no. Yeah, I went like this. And so we had this kind of back and forth a little ways because she really was kind of insistent in wanting to do it, but I really felt she needed a boundary not to do this. I think she's sticking the knife in the outlet or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I told her to stop. So then, it was so cute to watch her. She would go up to whatever she was doing, and I don't remember the exact activity anymore, but whatever she was doing, she would go up there, and she would go like this and start to do it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, what, what an example. What an example. And then I got a call from Doug and Jill, and they told me that even a week later, she, when the mom or dad would say no, she would shake her head no. And then sometimes we'd want to do it anyway, but shake her head no. <laughs> and... Uh, it was very cute. We must, as parents, say no to some things. We must, as parents, say yes to some things. We must, as parents, have age-appropriate, clear boundaries for our children and our youth. The first daddy told the first children no back in Genesis chapter 2. And that daddy was our Heavenly Father, God. And those children were Adam and Eve. And God said, do not eat of this tree. That was a no Do not eat of this tree. And yet those first children went ahead and did it anyway. And there were consequences for what they did. Kids need and actually want boundaries. They want some no's in their life. They want to know what they're up against. They're going to push against it. They're not always going to say, oh, boundary? Okay, sure, Dad, no problem. They're going to push it. Kind of like that football player threading that chalk line there, trying to stay in bounds and so on, and the ref watching. To be erratic, to be capricious, to be unfair, to be inconsistent in our expectations of our children, it will drive our children to frustration. So, number one, stake out clear, generous, age-appropriate boundaries. Number two, do more cheering than coaching. Say it with me. Do more cheering than coaching. So what do I mean by this? Uh, I wanted so much and still do for my kids to do well, to excel, to achieve, to not have anything bad happen to them. I mean, that's every parent's desire. 
And that's our desire as a church for our children and our youth. But that's hard. It's so hard not to give another one of those wonderful coaching tidbits to tell them how to do it right. In fact, if we had our druthers sometimes, I did some coaching when uh, my kids were younger and so on, you kind of want to be out on the field right beside them, say, no, kick it this way, kick it that way, do a dribble, you know, whatever they're doing, you want to help them every step of the way. And it's hard to resist. And I can remember the change in my kids' countenance if I was busy coaching them as opposed to being their father and discipling them and cheering them their shoulders would droop and sag and their body would kind of cave in and their face would go long and sometimes there'd be tears in their eyes and you could tell in their eyes that you had hurt their spirit and they couldn't look at me and I realized oh boy that's not what I wanted to accomplish it's not what I wanted to do What a difference when my first words are cheering, are encouraging, are enjoying, are lifting them up, are buoying them, are building them up. They've got coaches that can help them with the coaching. I need to be dad. Now hear me. I'm not saying cheering instead of coaching. I'm saying that coaching is a part of the parenting job description, but we've all seen good coaching and we've all seen bad coaching. And we've all seen some good parents in the bleachers, and we've seen some bad parents in the bleachers. And the difference is usually the ingredient of cheering or encouraging them to help them to see the good in life, help to see how they contribute to the good in life and how they are good in their lives. But fault-finding, critical thinking, judging, that's sometimes so easy for us. Sometimes much easier to be a fault-finder than it is to be a fault mender. And just a couple more. Tease kindly. And, and I want to talk especially to men because we tend to be big teases. Again, something we're rather good at. Laughing, teasing, humor are all necessary in families. They're important ingredients that help us go with the bounces of life because they're going to get that out in the world. But raising hit, kids who can't take it because they've been so abused by it, that's not good. We need to raise kids who can take it as well as give it, who have a good sense of humor, who can take themselves not so seriously at times. But some parents tease with put-downs, they tease with sarcasm, they tease with ridicule, they uh, tease with cruelty, they exasperate their children. And then the fourth one, Hug and kiss your kids every day. Hug and kiss your kids every day. When I was out of town, I would a lot of times call and uh, just check in with the family and have a few words with Doug and a few words with Don, my two children. And uh, when they were younger and so on, I'd say, okay, find your pillow. Okay, hug your pillow. You're hugging me now. Okay, now I'm going to hug my pillow. And then I would, uh, you know, and... uh, just be there kind of uh, saying, interacting with them with this pillow, acting as the surrogate dad or child. And, uh, and I'd say something like, oh, did I squeeze you too hard? I didn't mean to, sorry, and uh, that type of thing. And they just giggle and love it because they felt like I was there to hug them before they went to bed at night. Folks, being a parent is the greatest privilege in the world. And being a member of this church body 
with our children and our youth is one of the greatest privileges in the world that every single one of you get to have. Go home. Talk with your spouse. Or if you're a single parent, get with somebody that you trust to talk over these principles and talk over parenting. Have somebody as a sounding board in which you can bounce ideas off of and wonderings if I did this right or wrong, is this an effective boundary, and so on. Talk with your children and youth. Talk with them regularly. Ask them the question, do I exasperate you? And if so, how? What do I do that exasperates you? And then, as parent, just listen. Just listen. Don't defend Don't tell them, ah, buck up. Just listen. And trust your Lord. Read His Word for the resources of how to do relationships in a healthy way. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your Word that gives us helpful guidelines to live by. And as we think about how much we all want good families and how much this church wants a good church family that loves and supports our children and our youth, that helps us as parents and helps us as children, God, continue to bless us with your word. And now as we give our tithes and our offerings, we ask you to multiply those as you did the loaves and the fishes in order to help people hear your good news. We pray this in your name. Amen.